Welcome to Talking Facts, what you need to know about family, food, finance, and fitness. Hosted by the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program, our educators share research knowledge with individuals, families, and communities to improve quality of life. Hello, and welcome back to Talking Facts. This is your host, Jennifer Hunter, Assistant Director for Family Consumer Sciences Extension at the University of Kentucky. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Paul Vincelli, Extension Professor for Plant Pathology at the University of Kentucky. Paul is joining us today to talk about a very interesting topic, GMO foods and genetic engineering. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Well, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Paul, we were talking just a little bit before we started recording the podcast about just common consumer questions focused on GMOs. So let's start with the very basic of what is a genetically modified organism or a GMO? Right. Okay, good. So GMO or genetically modified organism is is something people have heard about with respect to food and maybe other topics. Actually, genetically modified organism is a, is a term that's kind of used in, by the public, um, and it refers to, generally in the public's mind, genetic engineering. Um, what is genetic engineering? Well, that is a process in the laboratory where we manipulate the genetics of an organism directly instead of indirectly. People have been modifying genomes, genetics of our crops for thousands of years, uh, but we've been doing it indirectly. Genetic engineering is when we actually directly modify the genetics of, a, of an organism. And um, in doing so, we're doing it with with more knowledge and more awareness of what we're doing and, and really less impact on uh, the organism. So when you say that we've been modifying them indirectly for thousands of years, is that just in the field, maybe crossing one plant with another, planting them close to each other so that it produces a, a desirable end product? Absolutely. So if you think about what farmers, you know, thousands of years ago did, they they allowed uh, plants to hybridize naturally or cross naturally and uh, selected seeds that turned out to be more vigorous and uh, would provide higher yield. But all of that is results in genetic modification. The, the, right. They didn't know that. They didn't understand that. But, but genetic modification has occurred for as long as there have been humans cultivating plants. We've gotten more sophisticated at doing plant breeding, which is sort of the conventional way of uh, using our sciences to, uh, to advance plant development. But also genetic engineering introduces this new level of ability to modify plants genetically and produce plants that, at least we hope, are more useful, more nutritious, et cetera, et cetera, um, beneficial to, to humans, basically. So when you're talking about scientists today that in a laboratory may extract a gene from one plant and put it into another plant to create a, a new variety. So as a consumer, what does that really mean to them? Does that change the plant to them in any way? Does it change the food product that they're, that they're eating at the end? Yeah, so so the, the the whole reason for genetic engineering or even for conventional breeding, you know, both classes of technologies are are useful, but the, always the reason is to create a plant that is useful in some way. So it might be um, more useful to the farmer. Uh, maybe it's a variety now that's been engineered so that it resists certain insect pests, and therefore the farmer doesn't have to spray as much insecticide. Or maybe the genetic change that we're trying to achieve 
increases the nutrition value or causes the apple to not develop the browning when you cut it open and leave it on the counter. Those are traits that are beneficial to the consumer and not necessarily the farmer. So there can be any and all types of changes that are, you know, that are intended for the benefit of the farmer. And, and so that's ultimately beneficial for us as consumers. But, but the, the changes may also be directly beneficial to the consumer. So why do you think at times that consumers may be scared of GMOs or concerned about GMOs? That's a really good question. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it and trying to read about it and understand about it. The fundamental fact is that consumers today not only the United States, but other parts of the world, there are consumers that are concerned about genetic engineering. They may have acquired the idea that there's something unsafe about it. And, uh, you know, we have to respect their their fears and their concerns and, and make sure we, we start the conversation by acknowledging their concerns, no matter where they've, how they've derived it. But how it comes about, I think there's a lot of complex factors. It's, it's a, con- a genetic engineering maybe seems a little bit uh, a little bit creepy you know right, to people right. <laughs> right so so there's that element the terminology and, itself is is a little it, a little scary i guess if yeah, nothing else it's yeah yeah it it is and and some people have occur- encouraged me they say don't say genetic engineering that sounds scary but <laughs> but uh, i i've always resisted that because i think that i want consumers to hear you know the full facts uh, and be as transparent as we can i think that engineered food actually is can be quite useful in fact it's not always been used in the best way i mean in terms of something that the consumer says oh yeah this is great you know so consumers often have not been the beneficiaries of genetic engineering usually it's more directed at farmers but honestly it it i must say to me it's very useful technology and to to wave our hands and say no, never. I mean, that's that's certainly people's right, and and if the, if it's based on a good understanding of the scientific aspects, I say, hey, that's your opinion. You're welcome to that. I support you and your choice. As a scientist, I see all the opportunities that we would miss. You know, if we if we said no to all GMOs forevermore, no to genetic engineering forevermore. Let's take the example of diseases. Okay, so I'm a plant pathologist. I study plant diseases. Well, a lot of times growers use pesticides to control right. fungal diseases and bacterial diseases. We can reduce that with genetics. And genetic engineering is part of the package that we could use to reduce the uh, the use of of pesticides. And so uh, so for that reason, I'm, I'm actually, if anything, I'm, I tend to see benefit uh, to the technology instead of risk. That was actually going to be my very next question, that if a crop was a GMO crop, did that mean that farmers were using more pesticides or herbicides mm. on the crop? Actually, that's a complex, there's a complex answer to that. On the one hand, certain GMOs have been very clearly associated with reducing pesticide use. So the insect-resistant varieties of crops throughout the world, the insect-resistant varieties have reduced insecticide use sometimes by a lot. I mean, it's very impressive what, what's been done. And so this has been beneficial not only to the farmer, but the consumer, right? There's less insecticide residue on the crop. Uh, it's been ven- beneficial to smallholder farmers in developing countries, and they get less po- pesticide poisoning because they're not handling as much pesticides. So so it, the, the insect-resistant varieties of genetically engineered crops have really been largely a success. The 
crops that are engineered for resistance to weed killers have it's been more mixed. There have been there have been benefits. And you just have to go to a farmer in Western Kentucky to, who uses the, the GMO technologies and say, why do you do that? And hear what they have to say. They, there are benefits to these weed-killing uh, resistant varieties that have been engineered. But there also are, you know, ultimately we've ended up with weeds that are, you know, resistant to these, these herbicides. Right as an example. And so it's, you know, it's not been the most sustainable weed control system, but, but I don't have a better answer either. I must say it's, these are complex issues, but I I want the consumer to know really a lot of this topic is, you know, there's, there isn't a black or white answer. Sometimes it really, really, there are different perspectives and different aspects and uh, you know, there are different risks and different benefits that we may want to consider and not just look at the benefits or not just look at the risks. This is, this is great information, and I think one of the key points that, that you made earlier is that the more consumers can become educated, that it's important to understand the terminology because it allows people to make their own educated yes. decisions is very key. So I thank you for joining us today, and I'm also pleased that you're willing to come back and visit with us again so that we can learn more about this topic. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Thanks Jennifer. Thank you for listening to Talking Facts. We deliver programs focusing on nutrition, health, resource management, family development, and civic engagement. If you enjoyed today's podcast, have a question, or a show topic idea, leave a like and comment on Facebook at UKFCSEXT. Visit us online at fcs.uky.edu or contact your local extension agent for family and consumer sciences. We build strong families. It starts with us.